I want you to know when I was editing the last episode, you know that moment where like you say a word a few too many times than you should and then you start thinking a lot about it? Yes. And like how frequently you're saying the word? Yes. I had that experience on your behalf. Yes. Because when you started the episode last week, you were like, book one, chapter one, the boy in the iceberg. (laughs) They find a boy in an iceberg. He is the boy in the iceberg. And I was like, what? what? Kelly, what is up with the iceberg? (laughs) And the boy from the iceberg is a boy. (laughs) How many times are you going to get iceberg into this conversation? (laughs) We know. We know about the iceberg. Just put it on ice, Kelly. Gosh. I want to put you in an iceberg. How about we freeze that for 100 years, come back to it. Yeah, right? (laughs) Just bubble that up, sink it under the under this ocean uh, under the ocean for a bit you know mold it into this nice big iceberg ice this iceberg. nice big iceberg mm-hmm. makes me crave a salad i think i didn't say iceberg until close to the end of the episode just because you've got all of the iceberg usage out of the way so early every single iceberg it's just really important to me as someone who grew up loving titanic you know it's just some of the best quality stories out there involve icebergs. Titanic, Avatar, polar bears. It's probably something about polar bears. Well, I'm I'm really glad that Aang was able to find room for Appa in that iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Mythbusters did not have to work on that. <laughs> You want to get started with this episode? Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally undecided if I'm going to cut all of that or if we just get our pre-show. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then... Everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Welcome to the Pie Show, the Avatar Rewatch podcast with your host, Kelly. And Colton. And we are back for episode two, season one, episode two, The Avatar Returns. <laughs> what happens in this episode? An accident results in Aang's expulsion from the Southern Water Tribe, and the villagers soon find themselves beset by sinister Prince Zuko. Ooh. So, did you get this vibe from Sokka and Grand Grand that bending equals trouble? It's like some serious, we don't want any of your kind here stuff. Like? When the kids get back from from the Fire Nation ship. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, this attracts attention it causes trouble. It's it's antagonistic, but for 
Aang at least, not for Katara yet, for Aang, bending is a part of his everyday life. It's a part of, like, he sneezes, he flies in the air. Like, it's a huge part of him. Whereas Katara, I mean, I try to think about how Katara has grown up. And if Sokka and Grand Grand, if you felt this vibe like I was, imagine what Katara feels being the last Southern Water Tribe waterbender. I mean, I don't, I don't have to imagine it. She, she demonstrates betrayal, and she shows anger and frustration at Grand Grand and Sokka. She goes off they you know Sokka banishes Aang and and she says well if he's gone I'm gone too she takes it so personally and I feel like this is the first time where she finally hears what she's what's kind of been unspoken about being a bender and feeling out of place this is the first time it's a it's said by her family members, you need to leave because you're a bender, because you could cause trouble. It's not said to her, though, and that's upsetting to her to hear it verbalized, to hear it be a real thing, this kind of thought she's had in the back of her head that she could be causing trouble for the one she loves. Yeah, yeah, she's, I think, rightfully so. She is feeling very othered. She finally sees herself in some other person, and that person is thrown out. And so she throws herself out right with them. It's sad. So sad. <laughs> She's finally got a glimpse of what it could be like to be accepted by somebody else in a, for her full self. And it is taken away from her. But she still chooses her family. Like, she still... she. As much as she's like, you know, personally, like, I'm going to go with him. Aang is like, no, you're, you're, you should stay. You should be with your family. You should be apart. I don't think I ever realized how emotionally devastating that line must have, that moment must have been for Katara. Because in the face of being rejected by her family and by her people to follow this person that she feels this new connection with, She's then told again, immediately, no, not with me. If she doesn't belong with the Benders, if she doesn't belong with her Southern Water Tribe, where does she belong? Sounds like she really needs to find a family. Oh, she gonna find a family. Oh, she gonna find a family. She's gonna have a found family. (laughs) She's gonna aggressively find a family. That's what comes out of that. An aggressively found family. I mean, that is what Dave Filoni does best. Aggressively found families. Aggressively found families. If I can ever actually convince you to watch some of his other shows, you'll see they're all like aggressive begrudging found family tropes all As over the place who is also someone who aggressively finds families <laughs> i i think i think that could get me into that <laughs> i'll i'll get you watching those star wars cartoons i will <laughs> by the time we get through avatar you'll also be watching the clone wars i guarantee it okay all right 
How about Sokka taking on a one-man army? Like, like Sokka as a one-man army. If Katara being per- personally banishing herself wasn't sad enough, Sokka preparing himself to take on an entire warship to defend children and the elderly and his sister would be the main target of the Fire Nation. Yeah, I had so many thoughts in this scene, and I blame you for all of them. <laughs> You're gonna your first watch of Sokka, you did not you did not feel any of this, but I promise you. You're going to have some stronger, different feelings the second time around. The The first time I watched this episode, I remember just being so... Like, I, I was laughing at Sokka during the attack. Mm-hmm. Because it's it does play for, for humor and for comedy. Yeah. But here's, here's a guy who's trying to save his entire world. His entire world is in this one village, and he's desperately trying to protect it from the group that has taken everything from him. And his primary defense tower falls before they even get there. He's unyielding against a warship coming right at him. He stands on the front, and he does not flinch. He gets knocked over. Like he, He'd rather get knocked over than flinch. And what did I say? Last time he is, uh, he is the one. He sees himself as the one thing standing between his sister, his whole world, and annihilation. And he puts himself in front of it every single time. Every single time. Yeah, it got me. Sokka got to me. Ha! You made Sokka get to me. Yes. I did notice though the comparison between Sokka's approach to the Fire Nation attack and Katara's. Did did you see the difference in how they both approached this invasion and this siege? Tell me, maybe I didn't. You're right. Sokka stands on the front line. He is unflinching in front of this warship. He is ready to go and fight every member of the Fire Nation in this moment. And He's thrown to the side. He, there's nothing he can do. He's powerless against them. He's willing to fight, but he's powerless. But Katara is in the village, and she too is trying to protect her world, her people. But she's not doing so by confronting the Fire Nation. She's doing so by pulling the children away, by mm-hmm. getting everyone to safety. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least at first, much more effectively than Sokka. She does a good job of stalling that advance, if only for a brief moment. Mm-hmm. But Sokka couldn't even manage that. I mean, he's face down in the snow. And I think part of that is also part of Sokka's understanding of what his responsibility is to the to the village. He they talk about in the beginning his his dad is a warrior. His dad was the main warrior for the village. And it's the warrior's job to go and fight and put his life on the line. And I think Sokka sees, Sokka looks up to that, the way he talks to the little kids and everything. He wants to be able to provide that. And I think his running to the front instead of, you know, hiding everybody away first, that's him doing what he feels is his responsibility. If I die stalling for 
you know, the rest of the village to run and hide, that's my job. That's, that's a good warrior's way to go. He sees himself as a warrior. I mean, he paints his face in the warrior, in the warrior way. He arms himself to take on Prince Zuko, to take on multiple firebenders. I have a lot of feelings about that fight. What are your feelings? My feelings about that. I notice Zuko does not use bending against Sokka until a very particular moment. He does not use bending against Sokka. He evaluates him. He's like, hmm, okay, no bending, not, not too much of a worry. There's no need to use up that energy. There's no need to waste that energy. And it also shows that Zuko is adept at not just firebending, but combat in general, which is important down the line. Uh, but he he knows how to move. So he does, he masters Sokka at that. He masters Sokka in his own game until, until that f- boomerang. The boomerang. The boomerang comes around and gets him. He underestimated, he underestimated Sokka. He thought he saw all the pieces of the puzzle until that boomerang hit him. And he realized, I should not have underestimated my enemy. And that moment where he is angry and feels small in a way, feels, feels tricked, that is when the fire comes from his hands. And that is the first time he goes to potentially use firebending against Sokka. There's like one other time in the fight where firebending is used, but it's used as like a crowd control. It's used just to back up the rest of the village from being involved in him fighting Sokka. And letting Sokka wearing himself out. The the warning shot above everyone's everyone's head. Yeah. There's a warning shot. Yes. Yes. But otherwise he doesn't use it until the boomerang. And I love that boomerang. I love that boomerang so much. I will come back to that boomerang like that boomerang <laughs> comes back to Sokka so many times. Because boomerang is an integral part of the Avatar storyline. Also, when Zuko thinks he had the upper hand and he didn't see all the pieces, it brought me to a moment that we'll come to later down the line where Uncle talks about Pai Show. And as the Pai Show, I feel it's appropriate to mention this and how Pai Show is about seeing all the pieces on the board and seeing how they work together and not just focusing on one little area. And he tries well, that's to... Zuko's downfall in this fight. That He's Zuko's looking at downfall. Sokka, and the boomerang hits him from behind. That is Zuko's downfall in almost all his fights. He the boomerang he dodged. He knows it's out there, and he doesn't regard it because he can't see it right in front of his face. Exactly. He's just a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. He needs he needs to grow and be able to evaluate as a bigger strategist in a way not something that Sokka kind of has a one-up on Zuko on because Sokka he had I mean someone was with it ready with a spear when boomerang goes he's like all right just gotta switch up different tactic different tactic different tactic he was ready to brawl I appreciate that in my characters their ability to be ready to brawl well he was ready to brawl but 
ultimately he got a stick in the face like three times, four times. Oh, yeah. And I do really like Zuko has the ability. He has the opportunity to just honestly probably straight up kill Sokka in this moment. When Sokka's going at him after, you know, the boomerangs hit, Sokka has the spear, he's ready to go, and he doesn't. Zuko holds back and he lets Sokka live mm-hmm. after completely embarrassing him in front of everyone he was trying to save. It's a very interesting kind of restraint. Almost as if he knows the true pain of living with your own embarrassment and mistakes when you could very well be dead instead. See, I always thought of it as him trying, as Zuko trying to be more adult-like and going, you know what? This is pointless. My main reason is the avatar. Like, and, and, you know, trying to like, I I don't need to do this. I am just here for the avatar and, and on that. But when you add that personal element, I guess like pilot Zuko and, you know, first, three or so episodes Zuko's I never really added that human element to before well Zuko is all about the avatar I think you're right there but why is he all about the avatar Zuko's about the avatar because the avatar is his means to recapture his honor Zuko's not about the avatar as a concept he's not about capturing the avatar for the glory of the fire nation he's about capturing the avatar for his own honor he's about honor and when he uses Sokka's weapon to incapacitate Sokka, he's taken Sokka's honor. He doesn't need to kill him. He has something more valuable. He doesn't need Sokka's life. He has Sokka's honor. And here's the thing about Sokka, is that to Sokka, I don't think the honor matters as much as his family being alive. I don't think Sokka cares about his honor at all. No, because that's that's a whole ego thing. And Sokka, as much as he puts on airs, I don't, he doesn't have that, that ego issue in a way. He is all about, you know, is my family safe? Is my family alive? Is my family here? He cares about those needs, that love and protection. Hmm. Glory is a thing that he appreciates it's a nice thing for him it's something that he says he wants if it happens later in the episode you know they they ang gets captured Sokka and katara go to save ang we'll can talk about more of the events that happen but you know katara and Sokka go to rescue ang and they do and Sokka's justification to ang is i didn't want you to have all the glory it's something that he cares about a little bit that he says he that he claims he cares about but I think at the end of the day, it's kind of trifling for him. I'd argue that's him trying to cut the moment because he doesn't want to show that he cares because he has he has he has the people that he cares about and he can only protect so many people. And he's learned he can't protect as many people as he as he originally wanted to. I'd argue that that later of like, I can't let you share all the glory. is just him trying to show what not trying to be like, it's, it's, yeah, it's not about you, buddy. It's not about, you know. You know, the fact that you saved my village and everything like that, and, you know, that I have a responsibility to you because you did what I couldn't do. 
I'll accept that, but I think there is another element to it. I think he's trying to cut the moment, but he also might not have the full awareness that he doesn't care as much about glory as he thinks. And I think that's a thing that a lot of our characters go through over the course of the show. The writing of this show is done in such a way where we can see on a rewatch or we can see through, I guess, insight that our characters have these deeper motives and desires. But on maybe the first watch or even, you know, in the characters' minds at the beginning, those deeper motives are not really something in their mind. Yeah. They're chasing other other things that you know through introspection and development we and they will find out later were actually deeper or higher you know motives but right now i think all of our characters are operating in a much more surface level superficial world than maybe we are looking at them i'd argue that our characters are focusing on immediate needs and not thinking of their place in context of like a global aspect in a way and especially someone like Sokka whose bubble is the southern water tribe it is his one village it is where he lives and it's not until later and I have a point about this that I'll bring up later it's not until later that he sees his actions as anything that could be outside of his immediate his immediate action and like uh, cause and effect I love that moment where Zuko has Aang on the ship and the door is about to close and you see just the raw terror in Katara's eyes. Yeah, that was visceral. In response to Aang's like happy-go-lucky, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like go along with these guys on the boat. (laughs) And right before the door closes, Aang, like his face drops like, oh oh no, what did did I mess up? Is this bad? Yeah, that moment of Wait, why are you upset? Like, I, I know I'm going away, but you seem more upset than if I'm just going away. Like, I'll be right back. The Fire Nation just needs to talk to me for a bit. I'll, you know, he doesn't understand the context or the consequences or the fact that the last time Katara saw someone being taken away by the Fire Nation, she never saw that person again. And it was the person she loved most in the world, her mom. Yeah. And I feel like that is... That's like our big moment in this episode with Aang really being a fish out of water because Mm. he was stuck in an iceberg in some water for a hundred years. Yeah, I went there. (laughs) What's he going to do about it? I agree with you because he really, this is the first time where he goes, huh, maybe things have gotten really bad in a hundred years, not just like a dirty room type of bad in a hundred years. And like maybe some different people on the planet, but like Aang from Aang's perspective, he prior to being frozen in an iceberg had traveled the world. He talks to Katara about all these places he's seen, all these places he's gone. He's like, Oh yeah, I've I've been there. I've seen that. I want to do it again. But that's not the world that Katara lives in. Katara's world is very divided, is very, um, the huge walls up around everything. And the sheer terror that she feels for Aang, it's strong enough that finally Aang, like you said, at that last second, she just goes, D- 
did I do something wrong? What's, what's wrong? Oh no. Like I'm getting the, oh no feeling. And Aang so far has not taken anything seriously. Anything. Even when he jumps in between Sokka and Zuko, he does not take that seriously. He still, he has style. He's like bouncing around and everything. Can we talk about Aang as a captive and his, what happens there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because I love how, first of all, um, he's very quiet, like uncharacteristically quiet Mm. as a captive on the Fire Nation ship. And I think he's spending so much of that time, like we, like we mentioned earlier, going from not getting it at all to wait, I kind of, I understand why Katara was so freaked out. Mm -hmm. And I really love that moment where he realizes that his own, his own fish out of waterness is like anachronism can be such an advantage to him as a prisoner of this organization that has Mm. no idea how to deal with him. None. None. He looks right up at his two captors and he says, you've never fought an airbender. And (laughs) I'm sure the two, the two fire nation guards are like, Oh, you know, we can take this kid, but Aang doesn't fight their way. He doesn't fight. He doesn't move their way. He doesn't think their way. No. He's not trying to defeat them by besting them in combat. He's trying to defeat them by escaping. Yeah. His win condition is not, I'm going to destroy all of you. His win condition is, I'm going to escape. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get free. Yeah. And he comes at them quite literally sideways. It's so crazy to me because so what we've seen so far is waterbending, firebending, and airbending. And of the three, airbending just seems the most versatile. We've seen him airbend with his nose, with his mouth, with his feet, with his hands. Like every part of his body is in tune with the element of air. Whereas firebending, we've mainly seen like hand punching fist. And then, like, the occasional, like, kick. And waterbending, we've seen just really the arms. So they are just, that dichotomy there of, this is my whole body. This is a part of me. You can't contain that. So cool. Just so cool. It just makes air seem like the coolest element. Yeah, and, and no matter what the Fire Nation does, they can't contain all of him. They don't even understand how to how to look at this situation. He is specifically an adversary that Zuko has to look at every piece on the board. He has to look at the ceiling. He has to look at the walls. He has to look at every piece of Aang and everything around Aang to even get close to a proper assessment of what any battle against him would be. He couldn't even handle the one boomerang that he already dodged. Oh, yeah. Let alone yeah. the bed that he never would have imagined using as a weapon. <laughs> no. Smacking him into the walls. And when you're an airbender, a bed is a weapon. Yep. A weapon that incapacitates without necessarily killing, which I think is also a very 
interesting look into Aang's character. He's surrounded mm. by people trying to trying to kill him, trying to capture him, and you know who knows what. And does he not even kill? Does he like seriously harm anyone? I don't think so. We'll have to look at that. I think I think the main thing in this in in the fight between Zuko and Aang, if we're moving on to that is that the stakes are so drastically different for each person. It's For Zuko, the stakes are, you know, everything is riding on capturing the Avatar. Everything in the world. Whereas to Aang, this is just a minor inconvenience. This is, this is just, this is a small bump in the road. He's like, he's like, oh, this is annoying. I have to go on a detour? I just made friends, and we were going to go, like, See some cool animals and maybe go to the Northern Water Tribe. Wouldn't that be cool? Huh. I should focus. I should try and get back there. Like, he doesn't get that the stakes are life and death. But for Zuko, Zuko's expecting this 112-year-old avatar to kill him because that is the stakes that he is living in, a life and death situation. And for Aang, it doesn't get close to that. Even when he's like, this dude really wants to hurt me and lock me up. This is really weird. I need to back away from this situation. This is the equivalent of just someone being like, no, I said no, and walking away from the situation. And Zuko is beating it with a stick as hard as he possibly can. Do you think Aang ever realizes in the fight just how much his life is in danger? Honestly, no. I think he does not understand that someone could be capable of killing a 12-year-old who is not actively harming someone. I don't think he understands that. I mean, like, I don't think most little kids would understand that there are people in the world out to harm them. Zuko's looking at this as fighting a 112-year-old and Aang is 12. So not only are the personal stakes for each of these two characters different, but they're effectively fighting completely different fights. Completely different people. I mean, Aang says to Zuko before they even get on the boat, because Zuko says, you're just a child. And Aang goes, well, you're just a teenager. And to Zuko, he's like, no, I am a young, independent person who is in charge of this whole warship and this whole mission. He doesn't have that lens on it. He's a prince, not a kid. He's a prince. He has responsibilities. Yeah. I think Aang starts to get it at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. When he's surrounded by the firebenders? Not even in the moment. I think he starts to get it, like, after all is said and done. You know, more mm. right at the episode's close. I think that's when he starts to really under, like, really process some of that honestly, hatred that he was feeling from the Fire Nation. That weight that was put on him. Yeah. And I think it I think it does sit on him like a weight because you can see everything about the way his body language is drawn and, and his demeanor when they're flying away on Appa at the end that he just feels so defeated in a way that maybe Katara and Sokka don't necessarily have to deal with because they've been dealing with that defeat their whole lives. They're so familiar with it. They're like, 
all right, I know he's an airbender, but so far Aang has been kind of floating, untethered to the consequences of the world around him. And this just burst his bubble. It burst that beautiful little bubble he was living in. And he floated on back down to Earth. Not necessarily, I don't think he crashed, but he just kind of fell back, like slowly sinking. And he sinks back down. And he's definitely swimming in the pain. Yeah, and Sokka and Katara both look at him with like, you too, huh, buddy? Like, yeah, we're we're in it. We're in it with you. And, you know, he says right there that he never wanted to be the Avatar. Mm. And I think he feels that in this moment more than probably he ever has. Yeah. And there's this. I'm going to be an animation nerd for a second there because this scene <laughs> is executed so well. <laughs> he says that he's completely deflated and the as he's saying it there's like this cloud that passes over him and radiates out to the entire group mm. and there's we we sit in that darkness for a moment before Katara speaks and you know starts to instill try and instill Aang with hope and as she does that the camera pulls back and we can see Aang is Aang is sitting facing Katara and Sokka and they're all in shadow and they're in shadow because a cloud has passed over Aang that is now behind Katara and Sokka and that's all he can see but behind Aang the sun is shining mm -hmm. so from Katara and Sokka's perspective Aang brings hope with him yeah Aang brings light with him yeah and they can see it Katara specifically can see the hope and and the light that comes with Aang that Aang can't. And she's the one to remind him of that. Like every every time down the line, she's the one to remind him. Because Aang's call to adventure comes through Katara. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because their destinies are intertwined. Yes. Grand Grand says it. Grand Grand knew it. Grand Grand knew it. Okay, I think Grand Grand would totally be in support of my statement earlier. They were She says, you both found him for a reason. I think she would totally be on board with my theory that the spirits brought Katara to Aang. I agree. I think, I think Grand Grand would support that theory. She'd support that theory. I think she would. She might not. Okay, she might not support the theory. But she would definitely be like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, that's not a theory. That's <laughs> what are you talking about? That's what happened. Yeah, that's history, not theory. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> cute animal alert. I was just about to ask if we had any cute animals in this episode. We didn't get a whole lot of animals in this episode. They, like, briefly have the penguins. Yeah, the penguin waddles. Penguins freak me out a lot because they've got too many flippers. And I don't know. There's just something about that that freaks me out. But, but the, big, the big whiskers, they're, they're cute. Uh, no, no, they are not cute. They're decidedly not cute. They're at, like, the bottom of my list so far. I think it's, I think... My attachment with the penguins is mostly because I've been watching this YouTube channel with this guy that owns a couple of pet otters lately. 
Oh. And the otters are really cute. Uh, okay. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. It's adorable. <laughs> okay. I think Appa takes best animal this episode. Well, if we gave it to the penguins last time, and he's the only other animal we, we see, I don't think that's the penguins last time. We didn't give it to the penguins last time. No, because I decided we do not like the penguins. I like the penguins. Ugh. Too Ugh. harsh on the penguins. <laughs> Do not like those penguins. Those penguins can stay away from me. Well, they will. We're not going to see them for a while. <laughs> they mention other animals that they, um, that they, that, you know, because Aang's like, oh, I have all these other cool animals that I want to see. And he mentions hog monkeys. Do we see hog monkeys down the line? We do see hog monkeys later. I do not remember that. But I'll point them out when we get there, but we see hog monkeys later. I'll be very interested. I know we see, they talk about the giant koi fish or whatever mm-hmm. um, and riding those. So I know we see that. And there's like one more that he mentions, but the hog monkeys, I, just, I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't remember those. But, they're never named as hog monkeys, but we do see them and they're terrifying. Ooh, more terrifying. And they're, they're messy. Oh, oh gosh. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we, we see them later on. Um, without getting too much into spoilers, I don't think they're going to win a cute animal award. Probs not. But I'm excited but, to see what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, they're also not the scariest animal that we get in the episode when we see them. They're, I there's promise some other I stuff will not look them up before we watch whatever episode it is. Cool, and I'll try my best not to forget about it when we do eventually get there, because it's going to be a while. I will have a very visceral reaction that episode as to what <laughs> hog monkeys are. <laughs> I'm very into the animals. It's so we'll cool. have more it's just, soon. It's such, a, it's such a little extra thing that they didn't need to do in a world where they're adding this whole thing where you can, you know, manipulate air and water and and the elements like they didn't need to add all these cool animals but they did so i'm you know darn well gonna take the time to appreciate them i like how your approach is is they didn't need to add all these cool animals but they did because things were fantastic enough and i'm over here like you know they could have done all kinds of crazy out there things with the animals and no they didn't do that they were like we're just gonna chimera literally everything i love it so you mentioned that katara is ang's call to adventure this episode we get to see sokka's call to adventure Ooh, what do you mean because so far sokka does not feel this this drive to go outside his world. There is no reason he is ready to stay there and hunker down and keep his family safe. His his world is this one little bubble. And he doesn't have bending, so it doesn't he doesn't need to, you know, go off and go and find a master for whatever type of weird magic. She, he does say a magic thing again at some point and in my head I went, it's not magic, it's bending. But he has no impulse to go outside this bubble until, until Aang sacrifices himself for the village. 
and as Katara is talking to Sokka about hope and everything, and she's trying to convince Sokka, I need to go save him. I need to go save him. Sokka has the boat packed. Sokka is all ready to go save Aang and to go be a part of whatever this is bringing. He does, he is not planning on looking back because he seems to understand that this is a bigger journey. Like he just, after that discussion with Grand Grand about, you know, you both found him for a reason. It's, it kind of feels like maybe Katara didn't take that as seriously when she said both. But Sokka heard it and said, you know what? These two need me. I have a place. I have a responsibility to look out for these two and to protect them and find my way to bring honor to. So if you say it's, you know, his importance of honor in a way, this is the first time he feels honor. This is the first time he feels he can make a difference. I never would have seen that, but I agree with you completely (laughs) because I think that I think that ties in really well with my view of Sokka's journey overall. And I really, I really think that Sokka's journey is all about that subtle shift from, you know, he starts out, especially in earlier in this episode, when he's going to defend the water tribe from the fire nation, he's attacking something he hates. Mm -hmm. And I think he really needs to learn that that is not the way. The way is to save something he loves. Mm. And when he goes, you know, like, like you said, if his call to adventure is going to save Aang, you know, not that, you know, he just met Aang, he might not feel that strong, but like, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Exactly. It's a, it's a little step away from his usual method. Exactly. If if Sokka did not hear that call to adventure, Katara's right. She would have needed to convince Sokka that it is their duty to go save him, to go save Aang, to go help the world and everything. But she didn't need to do that. She, he's like, are you going to keep talking? Or are you going to get in the boat? I don't know how far this thing can take us, but I'm going to try. And then he's the one who helps figure out something outside his world. Because like you said, about um, fighting it. I think what Sokka lacks in his way to be able to fight the things he hates, not just, you know, we're, we're shifting perspective to save the things he loves, but he lacks a larger perspective to be able to see all the pieces on the board. But he, we see that he has the cognitive ability to do so. And so learning things outside his world make Sokka a better person, strategist, brother, um, ally. That's what makes Sokka grow. And he, as much as he's like the dumb one who is the butt of the jokes, knowledge is honestly his power. Because he's the one who goes, what was this thing? What was the phrase that he uses to say when he says this thing flies? Uh, you know, wahoo, pup, 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 yeehaw, uh, yip, yip, and the yip, yip, like, because he picks up on that little piece of information, the bison flies. And that moment where Sokka is a kid, 
for the first time when he's like, we're flying, we're flying. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, I knew that would fly. Like, he has to reel himself back because he feels that thrill. And that's, that's what I think really cements the fact this is Sokka's call to adventure time. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's oh, so yeah. good. It's because you mentioned that whole thing about call to adventure with Aang and Katara, and I'd always seen it, and I was like, I'm so interested in when the other characters get that call. And some characters, we won't see that call until book three, you know? Uh, but the, the one for Sokka here really, really hit me as a Sokka fan. We see the Avatar state for the first time in this episode. Do we? Yeah. We saw the Avatar state before. We did. We saw it last episode. When? In Aang's nightmare. His nightmare. True, in his nightmare. But we see like it in action this time. He froze himself and his bison. That's fair. And preserved them for a hundred years. Mm. How is that not ag I mean, that's definitionally inaction. But <laughs> until the part where they weren't moving for a hundred years, that was action. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But this uh, this is the first one that's like not in a flashback. That's like that yeah. Katara and Sokka can see and observe. Yeah. And that others witness the Avatar state. Yeah. I love that even to vendors are like that Avatar state thing's weird. Like I I just imagine what like the normies are thinking when they're like bending's weird. Avatar state is weird. Well, we know it's the Avatar state, but they don't do they call it that in this episode? I don't think they do. I feel like... I think it gets named soon, but not quite yet. Maybe. Does Aang hint at it or something like that, that he at least knows what it's called? I don't think so. I think because Katara says, like, how did you water, Ben? And he says, I don't know. I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. Achievement unlocked, though. He waterbended. But he waterbended in the flashback the last time he Avatar that stated. Wasn't him. <laughs> This is the first time where he really acknowledges that it's him. That, like, he did it. He's like, I don't know how I did it. Because, I mean, if he truly acknowledged it beforehand, then he wouldn't have asked Katara to teach him waterbending. Fair. But he still did it. <laughs> but I would argue that it was a self-preservation by the other lives and not really anything that he was conscious of. This is the first time I feel this is the first time where I feel like the past lives of the Avatar like roped Aang into the conversation of, hey, we're going to get you off this boat. We're going to do some waterbending. And he's like, what? Waterbends. <laughs> I feel like it's the first time the subconscious to the conscious actually connected. Whereas the hundred years in an iceberg was very subconscious. He didn't purposely do that. See, that's interesting because I read it differently. I read it as like, it was an emotional response to the situation he was in. Mm. Like, this seems like Avatar state out of anger. Yeah, no, I could see that. But I think, again, that's very different than being frozen in an iceberg for a hundred years because that was very, very subconscious. He, he wasn't aware. So was, if this is an emotional response, it's an emotional response from Aang. It's not an emotional response from any past lives the Avatar may have. Right. I'll accept it. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked our episode, please, please, please do the thing that every podcast asks for and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find our show and, and listen to us. Um, also, if you have anyone that you think in your life might be interested in the show, please give them a recommendation. We're already watching Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix anyways, so why not do it with, you know, two fresh hot takes from Kelly and Colton? Are our takes that hot? I don't, I don't think our takes are that hot. I'm pretty hot. I think it's more a personality show than, like, uh, we're here <laughs> to, like, drop any spicy tea or That's fair. hot fire That's or fair. whatever the kids are saying these days. Yeah. Flamio. Flamio, Ottman. Maybe our takes aren't hot, but they're deep. I think our takes are pretty deep. We got deep takes. Uh, you can also find our show notes for this episode at thepieshow.fm slash two. Please rate and review. 